the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of The Lord's Line. Now, as you may have noticed, making things a bit more Catholic than usual. Sometimes you want the Midnight Mass rather than the Gospel Revival. Sometimes you want the incense and the bells rather than the Bible and the pulpit. It's just the mood I'm in this evening. I am still so very excited to speak to all of you, to hear what is on your mind, listen to what is on your heart and soul. Speaking of souls, let's talk about yours. Let's talk about the devil. You may be under the impression that the devil and the demonic prey on your weaknesses, but that cannot be further from the truth. The devil does not prey on your weaknesses, my brothers, sisters, and friends. The devil preys on your strength. For when the devil took Christ up to the top of the mountain, he did not pray on the weaknesses of our Lord. No, 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 he prayed on his strength. Since you're the Son of Man, since you're the Son of God, get down. Use your miracles. Serve me and not the Father. The devil did not prey on fear. He did not prey on Christ's hunger as he was fasting or his anxiety as he was praying for the death to come. The devil prayed on his strengths. The devil is coming to prey on your strengths as well. It's not your weakness that he is after. He is looking for your gifts. He's looking for your talents and taking your talents and making them into greed by making you think that you have to monetize everything. Taking your charm and perverting it so you can use it to manipulate others. Taking your beauty and perverting it for sexualization and lust. Taking your kind open heart and leaving it susceptible for abuse from others. You see, the devil is not looking for your weaknesses, he's looking for your strengths. But the main way that the father of lies the slanderer comes for you. It's not through possession, it's through obsession. The main way that the evil one comes for you is to make you feel like you are unworthy of God's love. To make you feel as if you are unwelcome. To make you feel as if you aren't good enough. To make you feel that you need to be so different. That you are even too different and unique to even be worthy of God's redeeming love. The devil wants that. The devil wants you to feel so distant from God, so hurt and scarred from God that you never look back. The devil does not want you to make progress. The devil does not want you to heal. The devil wants you to stay broken because in your brokenness, you are further away from the creator. But I am here to tell you that the devil is pathetic. 
I am here to tell you that the devil is a liar, a coward, and so easily defeated. Because in your brokenness, you can be healed. Because even in your brokenness, God loves you. Even in your brokenness, you are still whole in the eyes of the Creator. The concept of brokenness is a lie. The concept of brokenness was bestowed upon you by the slanderer in the garden. For you are never broken. It's impossible for you to be broken because you are never too far from God's love. You are never too far to commune with the divine. Never. The concept of brokenness, the concept of not being good enough, the concept of emptiness, the concept that you feel right now that you have to continue to climb and climb and climb and climb and climb to meet perfection. The concept that you are other. The concept that you keep having to work. The hungry ghost concept. The hell mouth concept where you keep working but you never hungry. Attachment to everything around you except for God that is all around you. All of that is an illusion. All of that is false. All of that is unreal. It is a projection cast upon you by the evil one, by the slanderer. Because in this moment you are already whole. In this moment God is already around you. In this moment you are not broken. And the wounds that you feel as if you have can easily be sutured up by the divine. So my brothers, my sisters and friends, when the devil preys on your strength, when the devil makes you feel weak, when the devil makes you feel as if you are not good enough, the devil is winning and it's okay. Sometimes we feel these things, but even then, all is well. Even then you are whole, because just as Christ died and went into the pits of Sheol to reign in hell, Christ can live in the deepest pits of your own hell and show you that you are whole show you that you are already perfect as you are. Tell the devil he is pathetic. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Amen. All right. Can I get some angelic choir? Where's my angelic choir? Perfect. Perfect. So now that we've rebuked Satan, let's continue. Thank you everyone who has recorded questions, messaged me questions. Some really good stuff that we're going to be discussing today. So before we jump in a recap of the last few weeks, it's been crazy. It's been wild. I did a lot of traveling in April, so I've been all over the place. But we had some great content. We did a Holy Rosary episode that I really enjoyed making. Right before that, we also did a Bible episode. We did a St. Joan of Arc episode, a St. Sebastian episode. It's been a lot of fun. Check those out. I really enjoyed the St. Sebastian episode, and I wasn't expecting the St. Sebastian episode to be that much fun to write and record. And frankly, I wasn't expecting or intending to do a St. Sebastian episode, but I did a very small petition 
to Saint Sebi, and he came through for me, so I owed him a podcast episode. That is the perks of Saint work when you have a podcast. Their gift can be an episode on them. So check it out in the month of May, if you are listening to this in order, if you're listening to this in May. I have a lot of fun stuff planned. We are dedicating it to Mary, since it is the month of Mary. And what does that mean? Rather than doing a weekly episode on Mary, I want to switch it up a little bit. I want to do figures in Mary's life, so we're going to do Saint Anne, her mother, Saint Gabriel, the Archangel, or Gabriel for Gabe. We're also going to talk about some of the apparitions, as well as some saints that are very well connected to her life. I also recorded an episode on hell, the misconceptions of hell, how hell is not in the Bible, and how hell has been weaponized, as well as hell, <laughs> as well as how many early Christians believed in universal salvation. So expect that in May as well, even though it's not Mary related. Also, every episode has bonus content on the Patreon. The Patreon has prayers. We did a rosary deep dive in February or March. A lot of fun stuff going on. I also do collective readings, collective bibliomancy readings each month. Certain tiers of the Patreon also get bibliomancy and tarot readings each month. It's a lot of fun. If you are listening to this and you're a patron, thank you so much for being a friend. Now, question time. Let's jump into the questions and see what folks have to say. The Lord's line is officially open and taking callers. So our first question is from Tori. Hi, Tori. You're on the line. Hello, W. Great to hear from you again. My question is that I would like to teach my niece how to pray the rosary. She is four and, although very intelligent, has a short attention span. Do you have any suggestions on how I can teach her the meditative practice of the rosary without necessarily having to involve too many words or memorization tactics until she's a little bit older? Thank you for your time. Thank you, Tori. So first, I just want to say I absolutely love the range of questions that I get. You know, our first Q&A was nothing about demons, and now we're talking about rosaries for four-year-olds. So I love the range. I love it. That's very sweet that you are practicing the rosary with your knees. As I've said in my rosary episode, and as I've said many times in podcasts and on my Instagram and more, the rosary is hard. And I know you know this, Tori, but I'm going to recapitulate, recap what I always say here. The rosary is various meditations in one, right? You have the visualization meditation, you have almost a breathing meditation, you have a um, a mantra meditation. You kind of have a silent sitting meditation as well. So it's hard for me 
to do that as a 33 year old it's very difficult for a four-year-old to do that too i think i first did the rosary at my catholic elementary school in like fourth grade and i hated it uh, because it was so difficult so what i would recommend is take a set of mysteries i likely would not do the sorrowful mysteries since she's four which that's a whole other topic we can have one day is we teach religion to kids and a lot of it is so graphic and then also a lot of it is just so dense and detailed there are things i learned in high school that i am just now getting now anyway i probably wouldn't do the sorrowful mysteries but i'd recommend sitting down and make it very simple with just a hail mary um so go through the luminous mysteries so the first luminous mystery the baptism of the lord so stop and talk to her about the baptism of the lord explain it like it's a story paint a picture like it's a storybook what is going on there what what is happening tell her about the crowds of people tell her how john the baptist was baptizing others and when he saw christ coming in he was shocked and stopped what he was doing he was nervously baptizing other people waiting for christ's turn because he was nervous and then when he saw him he said you should be the one who baptizes me and then when he does, the white dove comes down. Talk through all of that with her. Make it a story. And then do 10 Hail Marys or five Hail Marys. And keep doing that with the, all the mysteries. And if that is too much, then just talk about the mysteries with her. Just talk about the mysteries. And it also as we've talked on the Patreon before, and I've, I've talked in, in the Rosary episode as well, it doesn't have to be those mysteries. I think you can even have her meditate or um, think about or talk about another story from the Bible. The wedding at Cana, that is actually a luminous mystery. So, um, you know, the Jesus being on the boat with the disciples or one of the miracles Tell the story of those as, it's, as if it's a storybook and then say a few prayers. And then as she grows older, you know, throw in the Our Fathers and the Glory Bees. But I think just thinking about the mysteries in of itself is enough. And that's very sweet that you're doing that. So good on you. And thank you for such a wholesome question to start out the Lord's line. Take care, Tori. All right, and now our next caller and question. You are on the air. What you got? Hi, W, this is Isaiah. My question for the Lord's line would be, how do you go about uh, asking the saint to charge something, whether it's an oil that you made or a, a, a ward or a charm or a talisman? Um, yeah, how do, you, how do you approach them and, and ask them about that? And um, did you know anything for like any simple spells or, or things coming from your, your background of folk magic from, from the Louisiana area on when like you're sick, when you have like the common cold or something like that? 
uh, thank you. Thank you, Isaiah. This is a really fun question. So when we talk about a saint charging something for us, or even when we talk about a saint doing anything for us, if we're going to talk about the traditional teachings of a novena, or the traditional teachings of saint prayers in general, we are actually asking that saint to ask God to bless it, right? So when, when it comes to blessing or charging something for a saint, it doesn't have to be from the saint because the saint is just going to ask God to do it anyway. So you can actually just ask God to do it and that power can actually come from you, if that makes sense. So if you look at a lot of Italian folk magic, Mexican folk magic, when you want to charge something, sometimes it's just a Hail Mary. Sometimes it's just an Our Father. Um, you know, the, the, the Malocchio cure is just a prayer to St. Michael. And then some Olympias, as, as you likely know, it's just a prayer to Mary. It's a Hail Mary sometimes. I know there's more to it than that. So charging something for a saint, you can really ask the saint to do it just outright. Saint Anthony of Padua. Each time I use this rosary, I want to think of you. So will you please ask God to bless this rosary? so that when I think of you, when I use it, I am honoring both you and through you, I am honoring God. It can be something very simple like that. Now, as far as what to do to charge something, let's say it is an oil. I like to get really close to the oil so my breath moves it. And then I say a Psalm or I say a prayer and I'll repeat that for a few days. Um, though for a saint type thing, another thing I do is when I'm doing a novena, I'll have that thing on the altar. So for instance, and this is very common, very, very common. Um, there's actually a lot of prayers, I think I've, or rituals that I think I've talked about in the past where you keep flowers on your altar while you're working with St. Joseph. And then after the working is over, you go and bring those flowers to a St. Joseph statue somewhere in town. So I know the cathedral downtown here where I live, there are a lot of big St. Joseph statues. So I will do a working with Joseph. And then at the end, I'll take those flowers. Since they were on my altar and I was praying to Joseph, I was praying to God, it's believed that those flowers held that energy. So really the blessing is gonna come from God and you simply honoring the saint by wearing the medal, by naming the oil after them. That in of itself is going to please the saint. And hopefully that saint will then petition God on your behalf more gleefully and forcefully. And I know you're a member of the Patreon, so you have access to it. Uh, there are some blessings and prayers you can check out and you'll notice there's a very standard blessing of an object or image of a saint or Mary. And if you read that blessing, two things happen. One, you are still asking God to bless it. But then two, you are essentially telling the saint or Mary, when I use this object, when I view this object, I am going to honor you through it. So be with me during that time. So blessing, charging, you can really, um, you can do it on your own by just praying over it. It can just be in Our Father as well, or it can be something from your heart. 
when it comes to blessing something like a rosary, using it is going to bless it and charge it. Charging, I like that word. I like that word. Blessing and charging are going to be two very different things. Blessing is going to imbue something with the divine a little differently. Um, sometimes that can just be using it. Charging, though, I would consider something like that being on the altar during the novena. And there are a lot of traditional Roman rituals for blessing things. There are not many for particular saints. There's an Eastern Orthodox one I like for St. Michael, but there's not one in the Catholic Church. But there are unique prayers and rituals for St. Benedict, for a lot of different versions of Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows, certain scapulars have their own unique blessings. And it follows that same kind of pattern where you're asking God to bless it, but you're also telling the saint, I'm gonna honor you through this. And since I'm honoring you through this, be with me. And I also think it's kind of obvious, but it bears repeating holy water that you get from your church. That is something that will assist. Of course, oil, that's not gonna work as well, but a rosary, an image, a statue, a medal blessing it with the rosary um, also relic oil so you can find a lot of relic oil and that is oil that has been touched up against a holy relic of a saint so I have a I have relic oil that has been blessed by the gloves of Padre Pio and I have blessed relic oil that has been touched to a relic of Saint John the Baptist and then I also have some Saint Jude uh, medals so that as well, I have a St. John the Baptist Orthodox or Eastern Catholic style icon. Um, so I anoint that with the St. John the Baptist relic oil. So that too can charge it. Um, charging though, again, I'm really liking that word. I'm sticking with it. It's, it's sticking to me for some reason. And I think it's because I feel like prayers are very charged. You know, people... When people say, oh, oh, you just want me to pray a Hail Mary over this? That sounds really basic. Well, if you think about it, the Hail Mary has been prayed for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, thousands at this point of years. It's, it's a very powerful prayer. It's a very powerful prayer. And generationally, there's been energy built up around it. So simply praying something like that over something is going to give it energy. As far as folk practices in Louisiana. There are so many. I mean, Louisiana, we have the Louisiana voodoo. We have traditions. We're going to have the Creole traditions. We're going to have the Cajun traditions. We're going to have the indigenous traditions. There are a lot of folk remedies that are boring, like certain kind of teas, you know, the whole putting tobacco on a bee sting type stuff. I think the most interesting folk practice when it comes to healing that we have in Louisiana will, will has to be the, and I hope like the two or three people that follow me that are in Cajun country are listening. It has to be the Cajun trade tours. Um, that, those are the Louisiana Cajun folk healers. That tradition is unfortunately dying, but yeah, they're folk healers and they pray certain things over you to heal you. Best known for things like praying away warts or colic for babies or babies that aren't sleeping at night, babies that are having teething pain. 
but I also know and have heard traitors that have cured more intense illnesses as well. And it's all faith healing, it's all prayers. They don't accept money and they will teach anyone how to do it, you just have to ask them. So the Cajun traitors are very interesting, so if anybody wants to go down a rabbit hole, check those guys out. Thank you again, Isaiah, for such a great question. And I also love your name, it's such a badass name. All right, let's see what else we have tonight. One more call and then we'll take our first break. All right, our next caller is Allie. Allie, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, W. Um, first off, thank you so much for always um, offering up your help and answering questions. Um, my question today is how can we better connect to our like badass guardian angels? Um, if there's like a prayer or I don't know, more of an intimate way to get to know them and let them know that we're trying to connect, if that makes any sense. But um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much for asking about guardian angels, Ali. So this is a topic that I'm passionate about. That's probably an overstatement, but this topic is something I've spoken about before. So guardian angels are incredibly important. If you talk to an exorcist, if you talk to a old school seasoned priest, if you talk to hell, if you talk to, um, the monks in the Orthodox faith that live in the caves, they're going to tell you how important your guardian angel is. Padre Pio, he said that he got all of his spiritual powers from his guardian angel. He could understand languages he didn't speak in the confessional booth because his guardian angel was his interpreter. There's so much lore and fervor around our guardian angels However, no one ever seems to talk about it. And there's one prayer that's most popular that everyone knows that I cannot repeat without gagging a little bit because it's so cheesy. I have this book on deliverance prayers, which is all about removing demons and exercising demons and binding demons. And then it's like, you should have always light a candle to your guardian angel and pray this prayer. So let me repeat that to get the dichotomy. You'll be reading a prayer in this deliverance book about demon may, may Christ bind you with chains and thorns and may he dispose of you at the cross so that your pathetic being will rot in the netherworld for all eternity and may God do what he deems fit. And in the next page, it's like, recite this prayer to your guardian angel. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, ugh, to light and guard, rule and guide, amen. It's awful. It's awful. It's childish. You guys might like it. I don't. I posted this on my Patreon and I got some hate because some people do like the rhymey prayer. But to me, I can't take that seriously, you know, especially in a book about removing the demonic. It's like, here's a prayer about how St. Michael the Archangel needs to plunge his fiery sword through the heart of the demon, and then it's, live in light and rule and guide, amen. 
It's so tacky. So fortunately, there are multiple guardian angel prayers you can use. That's not the only one. But for starters, your guardian angel, like a lot of things, you don't need to have a formal prayer written for them. You can pray whatever you like. Um, it can just be talking to them. It can just be a quick prayer, a quick prayer of thanksgiving at the end of the night. And I'm going to repeat some other prayers in a second, but for all of you wondering why to work with your guardian angel, one, they are your protector, they're always there. A lot of people think, angels, I'm going to pray to St. Michael or Mikael, Gabriel, Gabriel, or Raphael. The archangels, that's who people want to work with. However, they're busy. <laughs> they're a higher level of angel when you have an angel that is right next to you right now while you're listening to this. So before you call on the big folks, the archangels, hit up your guardian angel first. It's said that before you can work with those angels, the archangels and above, it's important to first establish a relationship with your guardian angel. So that's one. And two, a really endearing folk practice that you see a lot in Italy, is if you want to change someone's mind or convince someone of something, you have your guardian angel go and talk to their guardian angel, which I think is it's cute, but not too cute, not too cutesy in a rhymey way. So this answer is so basic, but it's so easy and it's so true. And we complicate a lot of things before you do any kind of prayer, before you do any kind of working, before you're doing any kind of spell ritual, what have you. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, before I begin, Guardian Angel, thank you for being next to me. Thank you for guiding me and protecting me even in the moments that I don't know, in the moments I've been unaware of. I know you've still been with me. Please lead me and guide me through all things, especially in this ritual prayer that I'm doing right now. Say something from your heart like that. Before you go to bed at night, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Thank you, God, for letting me see another day. Thank you, Guardian Angel, for protecting me. That's 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 all you really need. Though there are some really cool traditional prayers that come from the Orthodox and Eastern Catholic circles. Um, I don't want to plug the Patreon too much, but this is all available in the Prayers tab on the Patreon. Uh, and these are all available online. You can Google them. Uh, o angel of God is a really good one. O angel of God, my holy guardian, given to me from heaven, enlighten me this day and save me from all evil. Instruct me in doing good deeds and set me on the path of salvation. Amen. Um, there's a really long one called O holy angel that I'm not going to read because it's very long. O guardian angel, it's another one. O guardian angel, protector of my soul and body, to your care I have been entrusted by Christ. Obtain for me the forgiveness of the sins committed by me on this day. Protect me from the snares of my enemy, that I may never more offend God by my sin. Pray for me, your sinful and unworthy servant, that through your help I may be worthy of the grace and mercy of the most holy trinity and of the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ and of all the saints. Amen. So that one's a little... You have to call yourself a sinful, unworthy servant but it's not too bad. There's a longer one called O Holy Angel that I'm not gonna read. Um, here is a, a kind of a, a sweeter version of the others, and it's like a good median between the rhymy one and the more intense one. My sweet guardian angel, you're the defender every day of my life. Protect me 
from bodily harm and from sin. Help me to learn to defend and protect myself so that I can be the person that God is calling me to be. Amen. Um, and then also, I've talked about the Jesus prayer in the past on this podcast. Okay, so imagine I'm doing the sign of the cross. Lord, forehead, Jesus Christ, center, Son of God, shoulder, have mercy on me, other shoulder. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. If you want to do it in Latin, Domini, Isu Christe, Fele, De Miserere So there's a cadence to that. And there's a way to do that with your guardian angel. So if you're like me, I love repetitive prayers. It works better for me than the rosary. So for me, rosary is great. I do the Our Lady of Sorrows chaplet once a week, but Domine is a Christe fele de miserere me. Domine is a Christe fele de miserere me. Domine is a Christe fele de miserere me. Repetitive mantras like that, like you see in the Eastern Church, that you see in Hesychasm, that you see in Hinduism with uh, Japa Malas. That's my jam. I love that. And you can do that with the this guardian angel prayer, holy guardian, angel of God, watch over me. So Jesus' prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. This is holy guardian, angel of God, watch over me. 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 And there's a rhythm that comes that's gonna put you into that meditative state. I think that would be really fun to do before any kind of working as well. So to recap, just speaking to them. Well, let's recap a little bit further. Working with your guardian angel, important, great for protection against the demonic, against evil. It's for good for deliverance. It's good to work with your guardian angel who can then connect you to the archangel if needed. And your guardian angel can work with other people's guardian angels to convince them to work in your favor. There are also guardian angel novenas that you can find online. Um, there is the rhymey rhymey prayer if you'd like it, great. Um, though there are some other prayers. A lot of them are found in the Eastern Orthodox Church. So check those out. And if you wanna have a meditative practice, holy guardian, angel of God, watch over me repetitively. It's going to be good for you to get you into that meditative mind space. All right, this leads us to our first break. Like I said, feeling more Catholic tonight. Spooky Catholic. If you want to call it a folk Catholic, feel free. So, rather than going gospel, we're sticking with the theme. Enjoy a few minutes. A song that never gets old to me. A song that still can bring a tear to my eye. Shoe Bears. Ave Maria. Enjoy.
All right, welcome back. More Heavenly Choir, please. Beautiful. If you listen to all of that, you're a true champion. It's art. It's beautiful. And art brings our mind closer to the divine. Now, thank you so much to everyone who has been calling in tonight. You're truly a pleasure, a gem, a friend, an ally. Let's see what else we have on the line tonight. Hi, W. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to call into your podcast. I've been listening for quite a while and I'm a huge fan. Uh, my name is Lottie and I am really sorry if this question is too heavy, um, <laughs> but I was just wondering on... Um, what your thoughts are about praying to Mary and the saints about everything going on right now with uh, Roe versus Wade and, um, you know, uh, legalizing or illegalizing <laughs> abortion and everything like that. Um, I feel like it would be okay to, to pray to them from a, a pro-choice point of view, but... Um, I don't know, it's just something that I've been kind of struggling with, whether I can pray to them about it or not. Thanks. Thank you, Lottie, both for the kind words as well as the great question. The great timely question. Can you pray to Mary and the saints from a pro-choice perspective? Absolutely. Mary and the saints are pretty apolitical. Mary and the saints just care about suffering and how that suffering can be alleviated. Mary is a mother. And when Mary is the patroness of mothers, of pregnant people, that's all of them, no matter what side of the aisle they are on, no matter how they vote, by all means pray. By all means, pray. What we need to pray for the most right now is for the hearts of those 
pro-lifers to be softened. Because what do they think? Do they think that people are just going to get abortions for fun? The horror, the fear, the terror that these pregnant people feel when they have to make that choice, that painful, painful choice. Pray for the hearts to be softened, the eyes to be opened. This is not something simple that people are wanting to do. And as I said, Mary is the patroness of all pregnant people. We can pray that she is with those who are struggling who have to make that terrible choice. You should never question if you have to pray or not. Always pray. One side of the aisle does not own prayer. One side of the aisle does not own religious ideology. These are the reasons why people like using terms like folk Catholic because they don't want to be affiliated with those Catholics. People don't want to be affiliated with those Christians, you have to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm a spooky one. I do these certain things that others don't. I don't believe in the other stuff. They even stuff like this that makes people feel that way. You should always be able to pray and feel comfortable praying. They don't own that prayer. They don't own Mary. So by all means, pray. Pray that the hearts will be softened so that they will see the pain people have to make and go through when making these terrible decisions. And also pray that Mary will keep these expectant people safe and healthy as they deal with what they're dealing with. Always pray, don't stop. Thank you for a lovely question, Lottie. All right, next question. We have Melissa on the line. Hi, Melissa. Hi, W. So I've been sort of getting into the liturgical year, and my question is just what exactly is a solemnity? Is it more important than a regular feast day? Is there a different way to celebrate it or worship? Um, what's the deal with that? Thanks. I really enjoy the podcast. It's quickly become one of my favorites. So thanks for doing all you do. Yeah, this is a really cool question. So a solemnity versus a feast day. A feast day is typically, it's usually affiliated with a saint. A saint's birthday or death day. Um, though sometimes you have other ones like events like the Feast of the Immaculate Conception or the Annunciation. Um, the difference is a solemnity is more important than a feast day, yes. So a solemnity is going to be something along the lines of Easter the resurrection, or the birth of Christ. So those will be solemnities. When does it matter? Well, it mainly matters if you're going to Mass every day, and then 
it doesn't really matter because you just you're just there. It's more the priest has to say a certain prayer and do a certain ritual, depending on what liturgy or mass you're going to. Usually, some of them would be a, a holy day of obligation. Usually, there's a vigil, which is a, a longer ceremony beforehand for some solemnities. Uh, but really, it, it matters the most for the layperson if you are doing the Liturgy of the Hours. So the Liturgy of the Hours, for folks that don't know, is the official prayer of the church. Uh, the church does recommend the rosary to everyone, but it more so recommends the Liturgy of the Hours. Liturgy of the Hours are prayers that you say throughout the day. Monks in monasteries and nuns, monastics, they pray the Liturgy of the Hours, which are prayers throughout the day, seven, I believe. Though the laity is, they are, we are encouraged to pray at least morning, afternoon, and night prayers. Sometimes morning, afternoon, midday, evening, and night prayers. Um, and that is called the Liturgy of the Hours, and they're the same prayers that Catholics pray together around the world. And they're really beautiful. Uh, they usually have an office of the readings, and those are readings of the day. Then there are psalms affiliated with it, and then there are unique prayers and hymns affiliated with it. So if you're praying the Liturgy of the Hours, then the solemnities are going to be important because the book is going to say that you should be praying this week in ordinary time, but if it's a solemnity week, like a Holy Week or Birth of Christ week, <laughs> Christmas week, Advent is the word I'm looking for, uh, you're going to need to go to a different page in the book to follow the prayers that the rest of the church is praying. So is it something to be super concerned about? Not really. Um, if you're playing, I, I do recommend Liturgy of the Hours. I do it. I think it's really cool. Um, if you're doing Liturgy of the Hours and you need to be aware of it or just see what's going on and if it's a certain solemnity or a certain feast day with saint that speaks to you then maybe you can do something different and unique but all in all it matters most if you are doing liturgy of the hours or if you're helping out at mass or something and you need to know something but it's really cool um, that you're getting into the litur liturgical calendar there are a lot of fun things you can do and it does help you um, be aware of feast days of certain events um, in the calendar of the church so good for you and thank you for the great question all right, now our final dial-in call, and then we will get some written questions. So, you are on the air, the final caller of the evening. What do you have for us? Hello, W. Good morning, and blessings be upon you. My name is Brian, and I had a question about your practice. I assume you've always believed in God and the saints and Jesus Christ, but how long have you been a folk Catholic practitioner, if you don't mind me asking? Did you struggle in the beginning using magic, maybe doing tarot, doing things that the Bible claims is forbidden? If you'd be so kind to share with us and have a good rest of your day. This is wonderful. Thank you for the question. I'm glad that we're ending the dial-in calls with such a great question. So, how long have I been a folk Catholic, quote-unquote, and have I ever struggled? It's actually the opposite for me. So, 
I grew up in a very strangely liberal form of Catholicism, despite being born and raised in the deep south of Mississippi. And I'm still exploring why that was. To me, and I know other people agree with me, the late 90s, early 2000s, Catholicism was very open. I also think that where I was from, we had the Southern Baptists, like the Westboro Baptists that were, you know, protesting everything. And by comparison, Catholics drink, party, dance, cuss. It's more of the open community, the Christian community. I'm also right outside of New Orleans, which is very socially liberal. But I remember even things like evangelization and mission trips were just so strange to myself and other Catholics. And in high school and elementary school, I went to Catholic schools for 18 years of my life. We were taught things like, hey, it's okay to disagree with the church. We read the catechism, and in the catechism it says that it's okay to disagree with the church, you gotta follow your conscience, and we had open dialogue about the things we disagreed with in the catechism. I remember right after 9-11, we had classes on Islam because they wanted us to learn that what we are seeing in the news, that is not true Islam. And Muslims are our brothers and sisters because we follow the same father, God. So I grew up in a very open liberal Catholicism. So to me, theologically speaking, I could live with it. There were some things from a theological standpoint I was never taught about very clearly, things like atonement theory, which very recently I, I uncovered how everything makes sense from a Christological standpoint. But liberally speaking, I never had an issue with Catholicism because the brand of Catholicism I grew up with was very social justice based and it was very open and understanding. What bothered me was I knew there were magical elements, but nobody wanted to talk about it. I was always open and fascinated by the paranormal, by the mysterious, by the magical ever since I was very, very, very young. And I knew it was there, going into the church and seeing, you know, the, the bloody Jesus on the cross and all of the saint statues with their weapons and being told you can pray to these saints for certain things and they're going to be your allies and be with and walk alongside you and protect you. And I did grow up in kind of an Italian folk magic-ish household. So we had like the Malocchio cure and burying the saint medals in your yard and wearing different medals for different things. So it was always there, but just no one ever really wanted to talk about it too much. Instead, it was more go to church, meet your quota, check in, check out, you're good. So I never really identified with that aspect of it. And then, of course, later in life, when I was exposed to, honestly, ma mainly Protestant churches, which taught more bigotry than I was used to as a Catholic. And then later, I feel like, the churches where I was from started getting a little more right-wing. But my issue was there was no magic there. And I knew it was there, but nobody ever wanted to talk about it. So I got away from it. So I started studying more Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions. And I enjoyed that because there were 
there was the mystical elements. And now, by the way, I always admired certain Protestant churches, um, Pentecostals, and just even just, you know, kind of praise and worship type situations because you could feel God, right? I would never speak in tongues, but people were speaking in tongues. You could tap into God, feel the Holy Spirit. I'm a musician, I'm a drummer. A lot of my practice is rhythmic when I speak. Like I said in this episode, I like mantra because of the rhythm. I, I understood that. I understood that you could tap into God and I felt it before. And you just don't have that in Catholicism. And the Christian churches that had those elements, they were usually the ones that were the most bigoted. So I couldn't vibe with that. So I got more into Eastern religions, Eastern philosophies. And if you look at all of the world religions, everyone has a mystical sect, right? Hinduism in of itself is mystical, but you have Advaita Vedanta. If you want to look at the main sections, uh, Shaivism, Shaivites, Shiva devotees, um, also Tantric Hinduism and beliefs, very mystical. Buddhism, you have um, Tibetan Buddhism is very mystical, mystical leaning, a lot of magical stuff going on there. Zazen, you could probably say the, some, some, the same thing in, in some aspects. Um, Judaism, you have the Kabbalah. Islam has, has various mystical sects, Sufism, Taoism. So, but what, is, what does Christianity have? You know, I couldn't find it. I could find the writings of Thomas Merton, of John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. And then I could also find non-Catholic thinkers like Miser Eckhart. And then others that were just super new agey and didn't vibe with me. So they were either, either super heady like John of the Cross or they were super new agey. And I just couldn't vibe with it. So I was like, where is the, the Christian mysticism sect? You know, where is this Christian side of things that I could learn magic and, and to me there wasn't one later i found out there is one and it's catholicism it's just been buried we've we've gotten away from it no one talks about how the rosary was intended for manifestation or we do talk about it but it's not discussed enough how there are prayers you can say to cast out demons how holy water and certain types of holy water especially holy water blessed on certain days is more powerful than others burying saint metals in your yard it's just not talked about enough. So to answer your question, um, how long have I been a folk Catholic? Uh, that's hard to say. I mean, if I, I've been back into Catholicism for the last few years. Um, have I ever felt weird about getting into things like this? No, I've missed it. I wish that I would have a long, long time ago because I've discovered that there is this magical side to Christianity and, it, and it's a lot of it is in Catholicism. And I feel like a lot of people are drawn away from Catholicism for a few reasons. One, the bigotry and yes, it's an issue. Yes, there's abuse. Yes, there are bad things. Um, but I feel like one, there's just so much theology that's wrong that's being taught even by priests and stuff online. Um, American Catholicism is very different than Catholicism elsewhere. But I think a lot of people are being shoved down their throats with a very rigid form of Catholicism when straight up in Vatican II and the Catechism, you're being you're told that you should always first follow your conscience. You're not a bad, you're not gonna get excommunicated for disagreeing. And then two, I feel like people 
don't have that magic. They want the magic, so they, they look into paganism, they look into New Age thought, they look into Eastern philosophy, and there's nothing wrong with that. I did it. And honestly, I was only able to return to Catholicism, if you want to call it a return, because I understand spirituality differently, because I considered myself kind of in this Hindu area of thought where you find God in various different paths and ways. Yoga, connecting and yoking with God in, in unique ways. And one way is, yeah, scripture, but another way is just feeding people. Another way is chanting. Another way is meditating. So I took that and applied it to Catholicism. And, you know, I don't have to agree with all the dogma. I don't have to agree with all the scripture. I can just sit and meditate. I can just chant. I can just pray. And that's fine. So, no, I, I wish I had more of, um, of the magic when I was younger. And thanks for this really great question. I appreciate it. So that wraps up our dial-in portion of the show. Thank you again, everyone who dialed in to the Lord's Line. This is what really makes these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. All right, and this leads us to our second break of the show. Let's play another traditional Latin hymn. This one is from Mozart, Ave Verum Corpus, which translates to Hail True Body. This is a Eucharistic chant of the consecration of the Eucharist at the traditional Latin Mass. Hail true body, born of the Virgin Mary, having truly suffered sacrifice on the cross for mankind, from whose pierced side water and blood flowed, be for us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in the trial of death. Wonderful hymn, and I hope you enjoy.
All right, let's bring the organ back. Let's just do it. Thank you for tolerating my spooky Catholic vibe tonight, but organ is still fun. Organ is still fun. All right, so that wrapped up the dial-in section. And now let's jump into our written section. But first, a plug from our sponsor, St. Anthony of Padua. Have you lost something? Call on St. Anthony of Padua. All right, thank you. Um, let's get into our written questions. Thanks to everyone who has written in things, whether it's Instagram, Patreon, psychic premonitions and telepathy. No matter how you've sent something in, I appreciate it. Let's jump into our cues. All right, Eustina5405 wants to know a tip to be mindful in studies, a prayer or saint. If I were to know the type of field you are studying, I could break that down. Though for me personally, when I want to focus, I call on Saint Benedict. Benedict was known for creating order and structure in his monasteries. He can help you stick to a routine. Saint underscore Moo. Six O's. Are there any saints good for helping you with art or music? Art is going to be Saint Mark. Remember, guys, I don't read these beforehand. Uh, music is going to be Saint Cecilia. Again, what kind of art are you looking at? Um, there's probably some more. Saint Catherine of Bologna is another good saint for art. And music is going to be Saint Cecilia, the patron saint of music and an incredible ally. And just a great saint. We need an episode on Cecilia soon. All right, Dolly in Disguise wants to know, did Mary have a choice to carry and birth Jesus? Yes. That's why a lot of people, including myself, we really don't like that Mary Did You Know song that happens during Christmas. Because yes, Mary knew. Magnificat Annunciation is in the Bible. Yes, uh, Mary did have a choice and she chose to carry Jesus and give birth to him. I've seen that argument from non-Christians, how it was cruel and unusual for God to impregnate Mary. Some people are like, Mary was raped by God. No, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel and agreed. Many prayers um, center around Mary's yes, corrected the no of Eve. Also, Mary then ascended into heaven and became the queen of the angels and queen of the heavenly army. So she's not just a woman that got pregnant. Sorry, Protestants. She, yes, is the Theotokos, the mother of God. Absolutely had a choice. And it was a good choice. MC underscore McQ or MC underscore MCQ. Your opinion on the Gnostic texts of Mary Magdalene. Do you have any fave Gnostic texts if you count them? I have not read completely the Gospels of Mary Magdalene. I have some of the other so-called Gnostic texts, like the Gospel of Thomas, which I really enjoy. So the term Gnosticism is very tricky. 
because I find that there's really three meanings. One, the philosophy that many academics will call Gnosticism essentially lays out that, or at least one of them lays out that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the New Testament, and then the God of the Old Testament, also known as the God of the Jews, is evil, which is really anti-Semitic. Um, so that's the heart and soul of many of the early Gnostics' beliefs. But then the term Gnosticism is also used to describe a inner path, a inner awakening, almost like a kundalini or enlightenment type experience um it's a hidden secret path in the bible and then also some people use the word gnostic text as an apocryphal like it's not in the bible but so when people ask how i feel about gnosticism it's like well i don't like the one definition where folks say that the old testament god is evil no it's the same god each time um and then secondly, how do I feel about these texts that say that there is an inner path in Christianity where you can connect with God and there's an internal um, awakening that can happen? I love that. But what if I told you that's a thing in the church and has been since the beginning of the church? It's called theosis. And theosis is when we are invited or we were intended to work so that we can connect with God in this life and in the next life. But theosis is communing with the divine, and that is a very basic tenet of Christianity, though it is talked about more in Eastern Orthodoxy and Eastern Catholicism. So I see a lot of Gnostic texts talk about meditation, talking about inner work, removing blockages. I've talked about a lot how sin is an energy blockage. You see a lot of that Gnostic text, but you also see a lot of that from the early church fathers because it's been a thing for a while. There is hesychasm, which is the repetition of mantra. Um, the Jesus prayer I spoke about already on this episode, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. That is to bring you into a state of theosis. So um, the Gnostic idea of there is a path in which you can connect with the divine here on earth isn't so subversive it's actually already a teaching but i do really really like the gospel of thomas what i i know about the gospel of mary magdalene i really enjoy um there, there is something about um seeing seeing through the soul i believe like a soul vision i think that's really cool i like the gospel of thomas as i said um, and these texts are really great. And, and you know, there's this myth that the church banned all these books. Gnostic texts were found after the Bible was already in circulation, so they just didn't want to add them. Um, some of the early church fathers really liked the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of James. Uh, early church fathers like um, John Chrysostom and his contemporaries, a lot of the names are escaping me. A lot of them would have a curriculum that they would recommend their parish, I don't think it was called a parish back then, would read. And a lot of them had these apocryphal texts in it. So it would have the Gospel of Thomas, which is an apocryphal text, but also a 
quote unquote Gnostic text because it did have that um, inner spirituality, kingdom of heaven on earth spin to it. But a lot of them would say Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of James. Um, they would recommend their people read those books even though they were apocryphal. So the one I'm most familiar with is Thomas, um, but Mary seems to be really cool from the, the research I did in the past. And my opinion on Gnostic texts in general, if we're saying Gnosticism from the standpoint of a hidden path, a secret path, a personal path to the divine where you can tap into God, I, I like that. I like that concept. But know that that is not heretical and that's not far away from the church that is something that the church has embraced for many years the catholic the roman catholic church not it's not as front and center you're going to see that more in the eastern catholic church and in eastern orthodoxy uh, but there's a lot of a push on theosis connecting and communing with god here on earth right now it's already there thank you for the great question all right peaches and hyssop thoughts opinions on the devil like satan versus devil versus lucifer all right let's do it time to talk about the devil again on this podcast there are three different entities devil satan and lucifer actually two different entities really so lucifer means yes it means morning star but it also means the shining one and why does it mean that? Why does it mean the fallen shining one? So the term Lucifer is used in the Bible as an insult in, I think it's Isaiah, when the prophet is talking to a, referring to a fallen king, and he refers to the king as fallen like Lucifer, fallen like the shining morning star. So if you look at Venus, the morning star, it's on its own in the morning, right? It's not with the other shining ones. It's not with the other stars. Therefore, it's a fallen star. And Isaiah was using this analogy to a fallen king saying, you are like the morning star. You are like Lucifer. You are like Venus. You've fallen. You're no longer with the other stars. And then later in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, Jesus says, I saw Lucifer falling from heaven. I saw the shining one falling from heaven, making the analogy back to Isaiah and also basically a shining one, an important figure, no longer in the heavens falling below. In other translations, that was changed to Satan or the devil. Now, devil and Satan are general terms. Both mean the adversary, the slanderer, the liar, and it refers to numerous forces of evil, numerous demonic entities, numerous fallen angels, not just one. However, We've started much like hell, where there's not one mention of hell in the Bible. I'm going to talk about that in a future episode. We've kind of integrated Satan, Lucifer, devil with the entity from Genesis. But the entity from Genesis, the serpent, is a type of Satan, is a type of devil. 
There are various others as well. So the one that you probably think of as Satan, as a devil, is this, the serpent. Um, again, the serpent is actually called the slanderer, but then when he gets his legs and, and body roof, pop culture just calls him the snake or a serpent. He's actually not, he's actually appears he's wearing um, a bejeweled coat in some stories. So that entity, the serpent, that Satan, that devil, is cast down into the underworld, is cast down into Sheol, into Hades, into hell. So the serpent is reigning in hell. And if you want to make it easy and call the serpent and Satan, just to make it easy and simple, I understand at this point, because it, it gets tricky. But you also have to understand there are other Satans and devils in the Bible. Leviathan is a demon. He's a fallen angel. He is a devil. He is a Satan. Um, here's something. Jonah and the whale. It's not a whale. It's a demon. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, that is a type of Satan. Uh, the giants that are mentioned, the Nephilim, are Satans. Um, now, there is some lore about the, the serpent or the snake being a fallen archangel called Samael. Um, so that's another area you can look at. But to answer your question more succinctly, devil versus Lucifer versus Satan, um, those are all names for a group of adversaries. Uh, Lucifer is interesting because it refers back to an Old Testament line. Um, and it is talking about the serpent. So Lucifer and the serpent are the same. You could say that. Uh, but all in all, the serpent is a type of Satan or a type of demon. He is the slanderer. And he it probably is the most integral, not because he's the most powerful, but him ruling the underworld and hell needed to happen in the story so Christ could die, go to hell, and defeat the serpent, defeat this Satan, which has later become the Satan. Um, because in, in Genesis, whew, we're going all over the place now. In Genesis, the fruit of knowledge was knowledge we just weren't ready for yet. And also death, we were not supposed to die. We ate the fruit of knowledge, and as a punishment, we were cursed to die. And the realm of death needed a ruler, so God sent the serpent down to hell. Jesus saw the fall. He saw Lucifer fall, saw the serpent fall. So since we can die now, God needed someone to rule over hell. He chose the serpent, or Satan, and um, now we can die. But Christ died so he could defeat the serpent, defeat Satan, and we can all be returned to the Creator. So Lucifer, the serpent, are the same dude. Over time, Satan has been mixed with other demonic entities, but most commonly Satan and Lucifer are referred to as, uh, are used to refer to this serpent that lives in the underworld that Jesus defeated. I hope that made sense. I rambled there for a little bit. And if me saying that uh, the whale and Jonah and the whale was a demon and Leviathan is a form of Satan, if all of that really interests you, 
don't worry, we will be doing an entire series on the demonic because there's a lot there that you probably haven't been taught. There's a divine council involved that probably has deities you know sitting on the council. There's fallen angels. There's angel human offsprings and called the Watchers in the Bible. A lot of fun stuff we'll talk about eventually. So thank you for the devil question because I know you guys like talking about the devil. All right, let's see what else we got. Thank you again for the great question. All right, and now I have a few questions about angels from Wilbur McMabin, who is higher in the hierarchy of angels, who is higher in the hierarchy, angels or saints. If angels have no sex, why are Gabriel, Mikael, and Raphael male? Is it possible to be a saint without being a human? Mikael, Saint Gabriel, or angels? So let's save that first question for last. If angels have no gender, why are they male? They're not, they have no gender. They are often depicted as well, Mikael is usually depicted pretty, what you might consider masculinely. Uh, Gabriel usually is not. And for some reason, Gabriel is usually the most androgynous of, of the three, at least the three in Catholicism. There are many more archangels out there. There's nine, seven or nine. Um, just modern art. Just modern art has has made them uh, genderized. But if you look at some of the earliest depictions, like look at like the Orthodox icons, um, things like that, they're they're very androgynous. Um, is it possible to be a saint without being a human? So let's talk about what it means to be a saint. What it means to be a saint is anyone that goes to heaven. If you believe that all dogs go to heaven, then all dogs are saints. Uh, there actually is a folk saint that is a dog. The name is escaping me. Um, if we also believe in the cosmos and that there is life outside of the cosmos, then aliens will also be saints. So to me, yeah, you could be a saint even if you're not a human. I think my cats are going to be saints with me. Sure. So again, a saint, yes, there's paperwork involved that you want to be a saint by the church. By definition, we will all become saints once we enter the kingdom. And that ties in really nicely with your last question, Wilbur, which is who is higher in the hierarchy, angels or saints? So we will also be doing an episode on saints, uh, not saints, uh, on angels, episode on angels. So the hierarchy of angels does exist, but what people don't realize is you can move around in the hierarchy. So yes, angels are a species, but they're also jobs. For instance, Mikael, Saint Michael, Mikael, is an archangel. However, Mikael was also the angel or actually it was called god the god of israel the angel of israel the protector of israel and that role is actually for dominions the dominion angels raphael was the guardian angel of tobias in the book of tobit but guardian angels are another class it's another job so you can move around uh, you could also say gabriel was the uh, was the guardian angel of jesus since he likely comforted Jesus in the garden and also 
Mary because he spoke to Mary a lot. So you can actually move around in the angel industry, in the angel corporate office, corporate structure. Um, now, who is higher? It's it's um, it's hard to compare who is higher. Uh, the term higher wouldn't really make sense. For instance, a human could not become a guardian angel or a archangel because they're it's, it's, they're human. They're not angels. Um, though something we don't talk about a lot, and it's actually mentioned in the Book of Revelation. If you read the Re Book of Revelation and, and the, the line in the passage is escaping me, but essentially God comes back and you see God's kingdom and in the kingdom are saints, are people, are humans. They are on the divine council with God. So when we die, we are invited to serve on the divine council with God to assist in the ruling of earth and the cosmos. So angels are likely also in that divine council. And so are we. So hierarch hierarchical um, saints, and when I say saints, I mean anyone that's gonna go to heaven. I don't just mean the Catholic church saying you're a saint. Saints and angels are going to have equal footing when it comes to the divine council, though angels, I guess you could say are more powerful than saints. I don't know. I don't know what happens to us in the afterlife, but they just have different skills, abilities, and different job roles. But we will both be on the same divine council together in the kingdom. All right, Cam at More Than Matter wants to know, how have your spiritual religious views changed since you started your podcast? Hmm. Um, honestly, I really, so I started this podcast really with this concept of personal practice that really trumps the church. And I still feel that way. But to me, I was really big on, like I said before, this yogic path, right? Like we all experience the divine different ways. What's most important is your own way. And just like the bhakti path in, in Hinduism, you can have an entire path that is just a home altar. And I still feel that way. But I dove into theology more than I expected to. I dove into teachings that I disagreed with to see if there were people that did agree with me. And I found so much. I found a very magical aspect of Catholicism, but I also found a very open aspect of Catholicism. I found that there still is a lot of teaching, but especially back in early Catholicism, where you were supposed to explore and find your own path. And I found a lot of magic in traditional teachings and lore and folklore I was not familiar with. And ultimately, I did feel the beauty in going back to a church and receiving the Eucharist and having a priest pray over me. I think it's a beautiful thing. So slowly I have um, really, I've never been big on labels, but slowly I've, I've really realized that what I'm doing is not witchcraft. 
It's not folk magic. And I use the term folk Catholic because people have an issue with Catholic and Christian. And trust me, I am not like other Catholics and Christians. In fact, I'm sure many of them, if they found out my beliefs, they wouldn't like me in their church. But honestly, everything I believe can be backed up by scripture, can be backed up by previous saints and church fathers who believe the same things that I did. And at this point, it's like, am I a full Catholic or am I just a Catholic at this point? Because there's an inherent form of magic in Catholicism that I believe is traditional. So again, still don't care about labels. I'm a, a staunch universalist, and I believe that Christ's death means that all are already saved to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, I think um, I've, I'm more open to that label than I was before. And I was surprised to see how much of my theology does vibe and connect with, with Catholic theology. I could probably go on, I could talk a little bit more about paganism, um, how now I feel like pagan gods are awesome, but I feel like you don't need, if, if you have Mary on your side, you don't need many other things. There's a lot more I can get into, but I guess um, I'm more open to that label of Catholicism. I've learned that my beliefs can be rectified with the church's beliefs. and. Even though I'm still saying like dogma is not as important as what you're feeling and what's being revealed to you on a personal level. Still feel that way. I still feel like theology is a trap and you can go down that trap and you can get stuck in labels and it can be a mess. But I've learned though that the dogma and theology I would hold dear to my heart does make sense in the church. All right. Thanks for that question, Cam. Katie, Katie Harris, I just said your question pulled up and I lost it, wants to know, I hope you're well. Thank you. I am. Would you mind talking a little bit about the magical and spiritual properties of bells on the Lord's line for those of us who aren't on the Patreon? Yeah, so Katie is referring to a post I did about bells. And there is a lot of blessings in the early church in the Roman ritual where you bless a bell and the blessing of the bell is so when the bell is rung yes you remember and think about God sure but another part of the ceremony is when the bell is rung it casts out the negativity it casts out the demons by the sound and the ritual I use is a modified ritual the church does when they're installing a new bell or bell tower in a church or a cathedral. You bless the bell, you usually consecrate it in the name of the saint the church is named after, and then you say a prayer to, so whenever the bell is rung, the demons get scared. And um, sound has always been a very big cleansing element, not just in Abrahamic religions. It's actually pretty rare in Abrahamic religions. I'm sure most people don't know that the church bell at your church Catholic Church was exercised and prayed upon. Maybe it wasn't, but um, for eons, sound has been used for cleansing. Look at Tibetan singing bowls, look at indigenous um, religions with, with their chanting and singing 
banging on drums, obviously. So sound has always been used for spiritual purposes, mainly for casting things out, such as negative entities. I know people who cleanse their home by banging two pans and pots together and saying, get out negative spirits. Um, though also, since we're just on the, the noise and sound drumming wave, um, rhythmic sound and noise bells too can also put us in a meditative state, a shamanic state. Though from a folk Catholic or general Catholic standpoint, bells, if blessed and prayed over, can be used to cast out negativity. Now I did post a blessing on my Patreon for this, though you can just bless it yourself with a few prayers, Our Fathers, Hail Marys, and then say your intention. Say that each time this bell rings, I hope that it clears out the demonic or evil spirits. Though the ritual I did share on Patreon, I do like a lot because there's a lot of Psalms involved and it's meant to be a community event. So of course, blessing a little handbell on your altar is not a community event, uh, but there's a lot of ways you can adjust it, which I think is a lot of fun. So thank you for your question, Katie. I appreciate it. All right, CC the Witch. Hi, W. Hi, CC. A big fan of your podcast. Thank you so much. I was wondering if you could give me some tips on how to do bibliomancy. I'm really interested in getting into it. Yes, I do go into this on my Bible episode, and this is going to be a very underwhelming reply <laughs> because it's it's easy. Um, so it's really just opening the Bible. It's asking a question, opening it up. Um, you have three chances, by the way. Uh, Holy Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you can open it three times and see what catches your eye. That is what I like doing. Or I'll do, I'll open it, close it, then on the third, I'll just see what's on the page and where my eyes go. I know that's what I need to see. Some people also open it and circle it with their finger while praying the Hail Mary. The end of the Hail Mary where your finger ends up, that is the answer to your question. Um, so yeah, it's really pretty simple. I do like sometimes just using the book of psalms or just using the new testament because it's a little easier uh but really it's 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 really just opening the bible asking that question and opening the bible um it might be something you might let's say you ask something about a relationship or a marriage and it it, it falls on you know um something about being restrained or held captive and that's going to be a no don't don't marry that person but it might be something, a psalm about God's love, then that will be a yes. So it, it does involve some, I guess, symbolism. It's not like, you know, tarot where you can just you kind of memorize stuff, even though you shouldn't with tarot. But it, you can't just like memorize stuff with, with the Bible. Um, sometimes you have to look at a certain word and really think about what that says. Sometimes you do have to look in the context of the story. You know, there's one where um, somebody asked a question and it was about a certain battle. And in this story, they were losing the battle, but in the next, in the later in the story, they win the battle. So my response for that would be, 
you're going to have issues with this situation, but soon it will rectify the next situation because I knew the narrative. So really it's, it's as simple as opening the Bible and seeing what you find. It's not, it's not always going to work well. Um, though interestingly enough, and if you guys have been on my lives, you've seen it. Uh, my bibliomancy has been rocking lately. It's been ridiculous. And I think it's because I've been using my Bible in my work more. I use it for studying scripture, but I read from it during my novenas. I have it on my altar now. And ever since, it's been a good divination tool. So I hope that was helpful. I know it was kind of a basic answer. Thank you for the question and the compliment. All right. My friend Isaiah is back. When I petition a spirit that I don't have any on my altar, what do I do with their offerings once I'm done working with them? If their offering isn't food or liquid, like a charm or something of that nature. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the question basically is what to do with offerings if the offering is not food or something that you can throw away. It depends on what it is. So um, if it is a charm, we've talked about charging already, right? You asked that. So if it's a charm, um, have it on the altar and then use it. So let's say it's a ward or something. Yeah, have it on the altar and then use it. Um, if it's something you know, from nature, bury it, put it outside. Um, yeah, just return it. But there's a lot of really good teaching and stories and just rituals that involve, like I said before, having something on the altar and then using it in your practice. So it might be flowers. You can use it as an offering in real life. Uh, it might be having a, a Benedict medal on your altar when working with Benedict and then wearing it. So really it, it depends on, on what is exactly on that altar and how, how you intend on using it. And thanks again, Isaiah. So next question, Trinity Thomas 268, opinions on the hate Eve receives. I've never thought she was wrong personally. If anyone is hating on Eve, then they're not worth your time to even talk to. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to have a big opinion on. Um, it wasn't just Eve, Adam was complicit as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's silly to, um, hate on Eve. I think that's just silly. The book of Genesis is beautiful. It sets up a storyline and an arc for redemption that took thousands of years, but nonetheless a beautiful one. Um, yeah, that's silly. I mean, Adam and Eve are both, I guess, complicit in the garden, but so are other people, right? I mean, Cain also messed up eventually. If anyone, you want to be mad at anybody, it's Cain. Uh, Cain was cursed to so yeah this is my answer my answer is people shouldn't be mad at eve whatever get over it you should be mad at cain and here's why be mad at cain because cain's curse was that nothing he planted would grow right um, no agriculture could work for cain so what does cain do cain starts a city he starts you know, bartering, he starts basically capitalism. Cain starts capitalism. So if you're mad at anyone, don't be mad at Eve, be mad at Cain for starting capitalism. All right, and this is a very beautiful question to end with. 
local trash witch. Connecting to Mary's love is very easy for me. I don't know how to connect to Jesus. So first, that's very common. That is why Mary has such a following, is that it's easier to connect with her than God himself. Though, one, it might be a subversive answer, but you might not need to because he is connecting with you already through the Holy Spirit. And it might not be necessary to feel that energy of Christ if you're feeling it with Mary. Though, when we work with saints and in this element, I'm, I'm considering Mary a saint, we work with them so they will bring us closer to Christ. So feeling that love of his mother is good enough because she will ensure that Christ is providing for you. And that is why we work with saints. It's so the saints will petition on our behalf, assist, assist us on our behalf. They will go to God, they will go to Jesus and ensure we're getting what we need. So it's very common to not feel a deep connection with Jesus what it is with Mary. Mary is a mother, and we know what motherly energy feels like. What does Jesus' energy feel like? It's complicated. That's a little intense. So what you're saying is, is a common thing I hear, it's something I feel too sometimes. You know, Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit, and that is kind of the feeling of God that we can tap into. That is the Jesus on earth that we can tap into is this Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit feel like? Well, the Holy Spirit is God that is invisible. It's God you can feel, God you can connect with, God you can commune with. It's something I'm sure you felt before and can continue feeling. Now, as far as connecting with Jesus, just keep connecting with Mary and Mary will eventually show you not how to connect with Jesus, because quite frankly, you already have. You just likely didn't know that you were connecting with Christ, but it's totally fine. Keep working with the mother and the mother will eventually bring you to the son. And now my friends, that wraps up our latest edition of the Lord's Line. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you so much for being you. Thank you so much for all of your support, all of your incredible questions, and just all of your fellowship, all of your friendship. I genuinely admire and appreciate every single one of you. Now, I know I said it was the spooky Catholic episode, but Local Trash Witch here has me thinking about Jesus being a friend. So let's bring back Let's bring back the Antioch Mass Choir. Bring them back for a rendition of what a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you so very, very much for all of your love, all your support for another great night with the Lord's line. I love you. God bless you. And remember, the devil is pathetic. Amen. Hallelujah. Good night.
是。